your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Good morning, 7.39. We've had some dramatic headlines out of South Korea over the weekend that have caught the world's attention. A military source claiming that Seoul is ready to reduce Pyongyang to ashes, to wipe the North Korean capital off the map and to specifically target hiding places where North Korea's leaders might try to evade any such attack. And that all this would be conducted with uh, certain shells and, and missiles, but without having to rely on nuclearizing the South. In other words, South Korea staying committed to the US nuclear umbrella. But uh, by the same token, we've had North Korea continuing to defy the international community with its fifth nuclear test last Friday and all suggestions out of the North are that it will continue to do so despite the threat of stronger sanctions. In fact, North Korea has ridiculed that possibility. Professor Stephen Haggard from the School of Global Policy and Strategy, University of California, San Diego, is on the line. Uh, good morning to you from Seoul. Uh, my pleasure to join you. Thank you very much for doing so. So, um, a lot to discuss, as I've just introduced there. Uh, where to start? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this nuclear test? Some, some people are asking why the North's doing it. Uh, if it was for the internal population, surely there's other means of uh, consolidating. I mean, they are really playing with real nuclear materials here, and there's got to be some external purpose. Right. Well, I, I, I usually think of three things as going on simultaneously, and I put a lot of weight, actually, on the internal story. Uh, the Byungjin line that was rolled out at the first uh, party congress uh, that, uh, of, the, of the new leader clearly instituted this uh, pursuit of nuclear weapons as a central strategic line. The North Koreans have said repeatedly that this is not something to be negotiated. But also, if you just look at popular culture, if you look at the Morinbong band, if you look at social media, if you look at the regular media, you see that missiles and nuclear programs clearly play a very central role in legitimating the regime. So I don't think we can rule that out. And, of course, uh, the balance of military power on the peninsula is historically unfavorable to North Korea. So we also can't rule out that this is exactly what they say it is, which is a deterrent. But I do think there's a deeper strategic game going on between the United States, China, and South Korea. And that's what we really have to look at more closely is how the strategic space between China, South Korea, and the United States is creating the opportunity for North Korea to pursue this program. Absolutely. North Korea seems to be doing everything it can to... Uh upset or provoke South Korea and the U.S. into taking measures that would in turn upset China. Uh, so where do exactly. you see things going? Well, I think there are several things that are going on, and it's interesting that both the President of the United States and President Park have made a very subtle shift in their discussion of THAAD, because uh, those of us who watched this saw after the July announcement that China just began to go cold in terms of initiating a diplomatic uh, approach to the question, trying to flesh out their proposal for a return to the six-party talks. But also, it seems to me at least, that uh, sanctions enforcement has also stalled out with the sad announcement. 
And so I think it was wise on the part of, of President Park and of President Obama to say that that is contingent on developments on the peninsula, that we won't be deterred from deploying it if needed, but that if some diplomatic process could be initiated, it, it, we could discuss it. Okay, let's talk about sanctions. This is one of the most frustrating parts of this job and your job and any job that involves talking about North Korea is yeah, the absolutely. endless discussion of sanctions that don't seem to be working. Right. Right. Well, I think, I think that, uh, you know, what it means for sanctions to work is not straightforward. I mean, obviously, they haven't worked in this case to date, but that doesn't mean they couldn't work. And if you look very closely at the Iranian case, there are some actually quite interesting uh, similarities there. Uh, remember that the Iran Iranians came back to those nuclear negotiations not after the election of Rouhani, but actually at the very end of the Ahmadinejad administration, and they were driven there by the collapse of the Iranian exchange rate on the black market. And so I don't think it's a, an entirely vain wish uh, that, uh, that Kim Jong-un might be miscalculating his own uh, economic position. Um, there's a lot of small measures that have been taken around the globe that run from Africa. Remember President Park's trip to Africa to shut down some military cooperation, labor exports to Europe, insurance scams in Europe, shipping in Southeast Asia. Uh, these sanctions take some time to work. So. Yeah. While I generally don't think that the record is positive, I think it's, uh, we don't know. It's quite possible that, um, that if China got impatient, that the situation could change, and quite suddenly, by the way. It wouldn't necessarily be slow-moving, it would be fast-moving. Can we rationally hypothesize that the speed at which North Korea has been carrying out nuclear tests, you know, two in the same year for the first time, for example, three under Kim Jong-un of the five in total, could be that North Korea is running out of time because of the sanctions, that it's trying to force the hand of the international community while it can. Is that a rational hypothesis? I honestly wouldn't rule that out, as I said. I mean, you know, first, if you just look at the, at the bilateral trade relationship with China, a couple of, of facts. So first of all, it's been declining. Trade has been declining. Uh, over the last three years, partly just as a slowdown, as a result of the slowdown in the Chinese economy itself. But at the same time, the share of North Korea's trade with China has gone up dramatically because of the closing of Kaesong and some of these other activities gradually being shut down. Yes. So I don't think that uh, Kim Jong-un would be, you know, I, I can imagine the scenario you're talking about where Kim Jong-un is looking at that timeline and saying, no, time actually isn't on his side because the fact that uh, outside of China, there's very little tolerance for trade and investment with North Korea. Which would uh, require patience with sanctions. Yet, you know, one other frustrating aspect of the discussion is that, uh, you know, I remember back in March hearing that these were the toughest ever sanctions. There wasn't much room to go any further, although we did have one anal anal analysis uh, which suggested that there was more wiggle room. Uh, but, you know, how much more tough can sanctions be against North Korea? Well, of course, I, I mean, I'm repeating what I'm sure everyone you've interviewed says, which is that depends on Chinese preferences in the end. 
But uh, let me make two points. First, back up to where sanctions fit in the overall picture. I think that Secretary Kerry said something very, very significant uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, in his joint press conference with uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov. And that was that the United States is not opposed to negotiations and has, in fact, basically dropped virtually all preconditions for those negotiations. What Kerry said, and this is almost verbatim, is all the North Koreans have to do is say that they're willing to discuss denuclearization and the United States would be willing to come back to the table. So, first of all, I don't think that it's uh, the case that the United States is unwilling to do this. I think what we need to see on that front is a more elaborate uh, proposal from the Chinese. But on the sanctions side, the one thing that the president so far has not done is he has not instructed the Treasury to aggressively enforce secondary sanctions, meaning going after companies, including Chinese companies, that are engaged in trade and investment with North Korea. And that's a measure which I don't think he's eager to take, but given the fact that both the nuclear test has distinctive features, which we can talk about, and the pace of missile development, and particularly the development of a submarine-launched capability and a road uh, mobile capability, suggests that the view of North Korea after this test is a little different than even after the fourth test. Right. Feels a bit like a game of chicken. Cool heads clearly required Uh, at this point. (laughs) Professor Haggard, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Professor Stephen Haggard from the University of California, San Diego. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our text is still open to you, Powder Sharp, 1013 for 51 per message. But you can also tweet us at EFM this morning and Facebook. That's how you'd like to interact. Search TBS EFM this morning there.